Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, when you have a chance, visit us at consumerguide.com. When you're there, check out our 2021 Best Buy Picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new vehicle. You will also want to check out our blog for in-depth reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide, plus all sorts of other fun car-related stuff. And if you have missed an episode or two of the podcast, you can stream back episodes right there on our homepage. If you have comments or questions for us, drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is carstuff at consumerguide.com. All right, let's see who is online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk, and her freelance work can be found all over the internet. Good day, Jill Simonello. <laughs> Good day. I feel like I need to you know, build on our, our last week's conversation and, and add in the mate you know, right away. Good day, mate. I, I, I took Damon's advice and I went with a a time neutral good day. A time neutral, got it. Yes. Well, very good day to you as well. Well, thank you. All right. He's the senior editor here at Consumer Guide Automotive, and his new business, Unmasked Mats, will turn your discarded face masks into beautiful designer doormats in the style of your choosing. I went with the Tuscan Sunset. Welcome, Damon Bell. <laughs> hmm. They're I just would say that could actually be a future uh, yeah. thing. People turn t-shirts into blankets. That's true. Yeah, quilts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Patchwork quilts. Hmm. Million-dollar idea. But it would because you, you've got both the actual cloth, cotton cloth masks, but then the disposable surgical masks as well. So do those get commingled, or can it only be? Boy, we're going to have to look into this. I'm going to need to dial up some textile experts. It's your business. You tell me. (laughs) Or have you already done that? No, no, no. I do have the three beautiful designer options, however. There is the aforementioned Tuscan Sunset. There's also Milwaukee Mist and Allegheny Harbor. What do I need to do to get you on board as an angel investor in this venture, Tom? (laughs) Just you knock on be, my door. My you wallet could be is in open. the ground floor in this. We could be. This could really be something big. It could be huge. I'm giving you this shot, but you know this window doesn't stay open long. So can I get your commitment right now? Here, here is the business fallacy here. <laughs> so recycling face masks, good idea, but because of the virus, no one is visiting anyone. So the need for doormats is probably in decline. Um. But is there going to be a huge uptick in demand for doors oh, once we yes. talk to this? That's right, because we'll be done with our masks and moving on to visiting. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to say somebody like is going to come up with this idea, and I'm just going to point out here on this podcast, we are copywriting it, and we get a residual <laughs> from anything in the future that people do. I want a bucket mat. Let's stamp this time and date. Yes. We, we should be realistic, though. We, and masks are not suddenly going to disappear. No. no. We keep talking about this new normal, and I think the new normal masks are going to be a part of that. For so, at least a year, I think. Yeah. yeah. That All doesn't right. mean there's not going to be throwaway ones that can be repurposed into floor mats, though, which is why Tom's, <laughs> I mean, my idea is genius. <laughs> or, I mean, when your ear loops stretch out, I'm just saying, because, like, I have one right now where my ear loops are too stretched out. I can't wear it anymore. Yeah. Yep. So. Prime doormat material right there. It, it put, is, in fact. Get a, get a collection started. <laughs> oh, man. How, right. how did we just talk about this? You started this, Tom. I don't, <laughs> you started this, Tom. You're a victim of your own success. <laughs> Our guest today is Sergeant Thomas Mason of the Police the Chicago Police Department. We're going to be talking about carjacking and what can be done to prevent it. You don't want to miss this conversation. But, Damon, back to things sort of car-related. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we've had the actual, this doesn't happen as often as you would think, but we've all driven the same test car recently. Yes. 
Yes, and I would. I don't think it's a stretch to say this is one of, probably one of the most important and certainly one of the most groundbreaking vehicles of the 2021 model year, and that is the Ford Mustang Mach-E. Uh, that is Ford's first uh, regular production purpose-built electric vehicle, and they took the audacious step of naming it Mustang, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that it is a four-door crossover SUV-shaped vehicle. So we've all driven it. Uh, I'm kind of still getting my head around it, but what, what did you guys think of it? Well, first of all, I think the Mustang name was brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I know there are a lot of purists that are, are kvetching about this and wringing their hands that this isn't a Mustang, but but deal with it. Uh, <laughs> Ford called attention to this vehicle. And compared to a compact crossover, which which this really is, mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot more fun to drive. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. I think they did bake in a lot of sportiness, and I think that they've justified. If, if Mustang becomes a range brand that includes electric vehicles, which it seems to have, that's just fine with me. Yeah, and it seems as we move further into the future, which is probably going to be more and more EV dominant, the the Mustang will very likely will very likely become an EV or I don't mm -hmm. know, possibly pure EV in in the not too distant future and and to lay the groundwork for that sooner rather than later and also expand it into uh, a vehicle type that is more versatile for a broader number of buyers not not a crazy idea a risky one for sure given the heritage and, and beloved nature of the mustang name you don't want to screw it up it puts more pressure on the ford to make sure that that vehicle lives up to the name but yeah it uh i think it work is, is i think it was a smart choice that is it's going to end up working out for them just fine. Here's an interesting thing too. Not only is this the first other thing called Mustang, mm -hmm. it's also the first thing called Mustang with all-wheel drive. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you, and it's interesting when you guys are talking about the name. Like I noticed in my social media posts, pretty much along age lines. So, Tom, you're an aberration, um, but younger <laughs> people are all Thank like, you. yeah, this is really cool. This is, you know, I love that this is a Mustang and, and, and the people who are older are like, Meh, get off my lawn. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that's fascinating, too, because younger people don't necessarily have the institutional knowledge of what Mustang is and the heritage. And they're just looking at this and they're like, this is a cool car. Who cares about the name? Yeah, it was it. I agree with you interesting like when i brought it home my own family's reaction to it they were they were a little taken aback like my wife is not a car person but she knows a mustang and she was she knows what a mustang is and she was a little befuddled by the name and <laughs> it, my kids were a little slightly confused by it too they certainly weren't upset like the get off my lawn older guys are <laughs> and were um, but the, it, they, it, they did a double take. They weren't immediately, they, they questioned it a little. So what did you guys think about it? Oh, I loved it. Um, I, so I had it um, in the middle of one of our snowstorms this winter. Uh -huh. I think we probably got like six to 12 inches. So it wasn't the big snow, but it was a significant snow. And um, so not only did I get it during the snowstorm and test it during like active snow and deep snow and, you know, play with the all wheel drive, but I decided that, you know, my brilliant idea was in the middle of the snowstorm to try and drive to Milwaukee. <laughs> So, so let's let's uh, let's play with snow and see how the range does in the snow. And um, I, I didn't go all the way to Milwaukee. I just went past Kenosha um, just because I, I like I didn't want to get stuck in, in Milwaukee and have to like call our, our fleet manager and say, hey, so um, this thing happened. But I will say that I did get back to Chicago and I made a couple stops along the way. So I like stopped for lunch and my husband and I went hiking in, in the northern suburbs and then we, we came back and I still had 30 miles of range on there. And, and the temperatures were below freezing. The snow was actively falling. It was windy. 
And I, I think this is, isn't it a 250 mile range battery with the extended range? I think it goes about, up to about 250 about, miles. Uh, yeah, when we, when we had it, uh, you know, at a hundred percent fresh off the charger, I think mm -hmm. we may have seen it was it was two fifty five, and I think okay. Tom, did we see as much as like two sixty indicated range? I thought I saw two sixty four. Oh, really? Okay. That, okay, so that was probably climate control off, and yeah, so and, yeah. and ambient temperatures were probably a little warmer when we had it. Jill than when you had yeah. it. So, no, yeah. it was it was super good. Like, I think the most range I got when I was at 100% was about 220 was the highest oh, I really? saw. And, and what was yeah. the temperature then, Jill? Um, it, it was definitely below 32 degrees. It was probably okay. hovering around 15. <laughs> it was very cold. <laughs> Jill, when you and your husband went on your Wisconsin foray, how many miles was that trip? Um... I'm, try, I'm like trying to remember. It was, I think it was around 180, 190, maybe. Oh, I mean, so you we, went we about went. 180, 190 miles. Well, Highway yeah. miles are harder, are harder on a battery than the city. 140, 140 miles. Yeah, because we, it, it, they are. And, and it was funny because the biggest ding that I got, I took pictures of the screens. It was because of, um, I, I was traveling with traffic, which, you know, all the way up to Wisconsin is anywhere between 65 and 80. And so I was going highway speeds, and uh, that was my biggest thing. So, like, when you turn off the car, it grades you, basically, on how your driving was. And, and my, my vehicle speed was a bit, that was, like, 80% of my problem. So <laughs> I'm, just trying, I'm trying to do the math on your trip, Jill. So you said you went 140 miles. You had about 30 miles left on charge. So about 170 in extreme cold, fast highway driving and through snow? Yes. Okay. So that's yeah, a pretty I, extreme case. Yeah, I, I mean, it was very extreme. I, I know I worked out the math at one point, and I posted it on Facebook, and I consulted um, one of our colleagues, John Volker. Um, if you, um, he, he's an EV expert um, and uh -huh. a journalist. And friend he, of the show. Uh, friend, friend of the show, he has been on. Um, we need to have him back. But um, I, I think I said that with the driving conditions, like if I wanted to take it all the way to zero, I could have gone in those conditions 190 miles. Okay, so that's an extremely low side example. I had it in very mild conditions. Um, I think the temperatures were in the 40s, no snow. Um, and I want to say that I was good for about the, the advertised one, 260 miles. So mm -hmm. it seems like cold is no longer that much of an issue, but extreme cold is. Yeah. Well, and the other interesting thing that I noticed when I was playing around in the snow um, with the, the, so I had it switched into one pedal driving, which is basically you use the gas for throttle and braking. And as you take your foot off of the gas, the car we slows have, we down. Have to, we, you should call it a throttle pedal or an accelerator. Yes, the I, and I kept messing no up when I was doing video. <laughs> the gas pedal, it's not the gas pedal, the not accelerator. The, pedal. Yes. Um, the, the throttle pedal, um, but uh, the... Um, what I noticed in the snow was, and this was fascinating to me, and I kept doing, I like kept going up and down my alley doing this over and over again <laughs> to try it. But whenever I put my foot on the brake, actually trying to stop, the car slid. And whenever I used the one pedal method, um, just oh. taking my foot off the accelerator, the car right. like cleanly and immediately came to a smooth stop without any slippage. And I, I was just like, <gasps> mind blown. And um, I actually, I need to follow up with Ford on that because I was like, why was that? Why did that happen? And I mean, I think it's just your wheels are stopping immediately versus they're slowing down. But um, I thought that was fat. So like, I thought it handled beautifully in the snow once you get the hang of the one pedal driving. And um, you know, the range didn't freak me out at all. We should mention that because you mentioned getting the hang of the one pedal driving. That's an option. You can you can drive mm -hmm. very conventionally as well. Mm -hmm. But we haven't talked. We're running out of time here, and we haven't talked much about the actual experience of driving this car. And it's actually quite sporty. Mm -hmm. I think the Mustang name isn't ridiculous. I love the interior. It is simple. It is modern. The enormous view screen, the touch screen in the center. Uh, they're not even trying to integrate it. It's just a giant <laughs> touch screen. Yeah, it's a tablet on, on the console. And then there's a very nice rectangular uh, horizontally. Um, align a screen in front of you. That's the instrument panel. Then the two, the two kind of match. They're rectangular. They look good. 
but the interior is nice. It's a little bit small for this big driver, but that's not going to be most people's problem. I enjoyed driving this thing a lot. It handled great. It's very quick. I thought that the initial throttle sensitivity was silly. I think they're going for like a test drive thing where they're trying to impress people with how quick this uh, car is. And I found myself lurching forward from a stop a lot. <laughs> you can learn to avoid that by just being more careful with the, as we're calling it, the throttle. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, heck of a nice car. I, I, I love the interior. Um, I was getting thumbs up from people all over mm -hmm. the places. I, I, yeah. I didn't know that many people knew what this was. I also got one from Tesla drivers, so there you go. Oh. <laughs> well, so I want to know how Damon fits. So I fit really well. Tom, it was a little bit tight for you. Um, but Damon, yeah. how was, was it for you? I fit great. I'll, uh, I had su a surprising amount of surplus headroom but I was not crazy about the uh, gigantic uh, panoramics, fixed panoramic sunroof with no sunshade. Mm. Uh, I would want a sunshade. I don't know if that's, it doesn't look like uh, it's uh, uh, something that could be put in. So that was a minor demerit for me, but the, yeah, I was very impressed. Uh, extra headroom and insufficient legroom as well. So I give it an A for a super tall guy grade. Cool. All right, well, we're talking about a car that's going to matter an awful lot as we roll into the EV era. But if this is an indication of where things are going, I think we can all take a, 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 a refreshing pause and smile because it could be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Sergeant Thomas Mason of the Chicago Police Department. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, this is the part of the show when I strongly recommend you follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain you. All right. Roughly three years ago, Jill was the victim of a carjacking. She wasn't being careless, she wasn't in a high crime area, and she certainly didn't see it coming. Unfortunately, her story is not unique. Today we're going to talk about carjacking and what can be done to prevent it. Our guest today is a supervisor in the Chicago Police Detective Bureau. He's a 27-year veteran of the force with degrees in history and public policy. Welcome to the Car Stuff Podcast, Sergeant Thomas Mason. Sergeant Mason, thanks for joining us. Yes, hello. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Sergeant Mason, tell us a little bit about your task force and what you guys do. Well, I work in an uh, area which is the formation of the Detective Bureau that is usually responsible for five different uh, districts for follow-up investigations. We had been doing uh, investigating of carjackings for about four years now. The situation got a little bit out of hand this year, and so the Chief of Detectives decided to do what we do in what was Area North, now Area 3 at Belmont and Western, uh, on a citywide basis. So there's a citywide team, and then there's a team in each detective area. And we are back to five detective areas, so it's a little bit um, inside baseball, but we had gone to three police areas for a few years, about eight years, and then we deconsolidated and went back to five detective areas. So now there's five individual detective mission teams that's follow-up investigations there's a citywide team and then there's also resources from the patrol division uh, i believe we're called the patrol bureau now which are officers who are going to go out and try to uh, be in the neighborhood or in the area where there are uh, carjackings to prevent them so in a nutshell though you guys are throwing a lot more personnel and manpower at carjacking that's correct what what do you guys attribute the recent uptick in carjackings? I was checking around this morning, and Chicago isn't the only place. There are cities like Minneapolis and Oakland and Detroit where carjackings have suddenly increased, and some of it's associated with the pandemic. Um, what are you guys finding? You know, I don't I don't know if it's directly attributable to the uh, pandemic, but I do know that there's a lot of factors that go into it. Some are unique to Illinois, and some are not unique to Illinois. Um, just to talk about some numbers, so we have a baseline. Last year, I think you guys have probably already said it, there was about 1,400 carjackings. And that was an increase of about 130% from the previous oh. year. Hmm. Um, 
which is interesting because the previous year had seen a 20% decrease. So where I work, our our bosses had decided around the summer of 2017 that like carjacking was starting to be a problem here. At the time, we had nine districts for the whole north of the city, which is now three different areas. And so we decided to tackle it uh, with a dedicated team of five detectives and a sergeant. And occasionally some police officers, some patrol officers with us. We slowly but surely realized that, you know, you can't clear, and clearing is uh, identifying an offender. You can't clear every crime. Robbery is unique in that the the victim doesn't always see the person who robs them or can't remember it or it's too stressful. And so to, to clear it, you have to be able to identify the person and have the victim identified. Or a detective can look at the video and say, that's absolutely the person. But the problem we had had, and we discovered after doing this for a little while, is that once we would find someone uh, or a group of guys who were committing a few carjackings and we could get them charged, in a particular area where they had been operating, there were no more carjackings for a good period of time. So it doesn't take like a, a big city detective to realize that a small group of people, mm-hmm. a small group of offenders, are committing multiple crimes again and again and again. Not provable, but the absence of crime is our, our usual measure of efficiency. So that's why we all work together to to focus just on this particular crime. It has a number of like, um, you know, nuances or attributes that are like unique compared to your regular robbery investigation. Um, a perfect one I would give out right away is that the clearance rate in Chicago for carjackings hovers between 22 and 25 percent, which is below the national average of like clearing robberies per the FBI, which is usually around 28 to 30 percent. But carjackings are like a little bit more unique in that the robbers immediately get away with your car. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or you're dragged uh-huh. out of your car. It's not the typical guy stepping out of an alley and going, come over here with a gun and hand over your proceeds. So it's very hard for people sometimes to remember who it is who, who did it to them. So this huge increase we've seen, at least in Chicago, it's related to a couple of things. Uh most of the offenders are juveniles, and in Illinois, juveniles are now 18 and below. A few years ago, they changed one of the laws where we were not charging felonies at age 17. So that's a factor, okay? Last year, there was about, I don't know, about 180 arrests, and I think a little over 100 of them were juveniles. Oh. I got my numbers right here. 188 arrests for carjacking, okay? And 106 were juveniles. Now, you have to remember that you'll, you'll get uh, a lot of different like explanations for arrests and stuff. We are robbery detectives primarily, so we only deal with charging people with vehicular hijacking or aggravated vehicular hijacking. Possession of a stolen motor vehicle is a component of like carjacking, but it's not the charge that we seek usually, right? That's like someone possessing a stolen car. People possess stolen cars all the time that didn't necessarily take that car, okay? Mm -hmm, So looking at those statistics doesn't help us in terms of charging a robbery. Then the other big factor was back in, the law passed in 2015, I think it took effect the next year in 2016, that it was, uh, we no longer have automatic transfers to criminal court, okay, that's adult court, of 15 to 17 year old juvenile offenders, all right? There were certain offenses, and the ones that I deal with is armed robbery with a firearm, okay, or aggravated vehicular hijacking, which is usually involving a gun. That was automatically transferred to adult court, and they stopped doing that, okay? So now juvenile court has an entirely different way of dealing with offenders, okay? They don't, uh, they don't keep them in pretrial detention for as long as, as you might when you're an adult, and then that dovetails into the whole thing that there has been like a movement to lessen pretrial detention nationwide, but especially in Cook County, for various reasons that are outside like the frankly the purview of the police department, um, overcrowding and expenses, and uh, some people see it as like a, a movement towards more uh, you know equitable application of justice. So you have more offenders who are out in the street, and then we see the same offenders uh, committing the crime, same crime again and again and again. So that's one of, one of the factors that we we are dealing with. Yeah. And then the other one, the other one that's uh, pushing vehicular hijacking. You know, most cars are now uh, not most, but many of them have uh, encrypted keys for about twenty years. 
mm-hmm. where there's a, a chip in it, you know, and it communicates with the car. Uh, and you can't start the car without it. Or, like I, I've experienced it personally, like locking myself out. You can start the car without the uh, the encrypted chipped key, but it won't stay running very long, okay? And then on top of that, and that's about 10 years now, the remote start key fob key, meaning you just get in, you push a button, push the start, yeah. and you keep the fob in your pocket. Those cars are very hard to steal in the traditional sense. Like, get in there. Uh, we would call it hot wiring back in the right. 70s no. and 80s, okay? <laughs> you can't do it, so what do you have to do? You have to have the car running, and even better, you have to get a hold of that key fob. So I think that also is a small factor, you know, contributing factor towards the increase in vehicular hijackings. Like, they want that car, and you can't just bust the window and figure out how to, like, hotwire it and steal it. So you need that fob, or better yet, you need it running. And then that's like a little sidebar. Sometimes they steal cars during a robbery, during a carjacking. They don't get the key fob. And the offenders will have to keep the car running because as soon as you turn it off, they can't start it again. Right. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious, just given, uh, frankly, the kind of disturbingly young age of a lot of the the perpetrators, what is your sense of what the the goal is? Obviously, they want the car, but once they have it, does it just become an afternoon of joy riding and then they ditch it somewhere or does it end up at a chop shop? Like what is the fate, the typical fate of the vehicle that are carjacked? No, that's that's it's very interesting to like explore that. I would never call it joyriding because this isn't like taking some parent's car and like driving around for fun. Okay, you've committed like a violent crime to obtain it. So I, I don't I don't want to sit there and say like when we look at the motivation, you know, we use motive codes in the police department. Financial gain is usually a, a motive for robbery. We would never say like oh just for joyriding. You know, they beat someone mm-hmm. up and put a gun in their face. Uh, that being said. They take the cars, frankly, because they can, and they don't have transportation. And I know that sounds really facetious, and I don't mean to give a, like a facile answer, but mm. if you if you can do it and you don't have a car, you do it. Um, part of the reason why they're doing that, I think, is that uh, maybe kids are like evolving in a different way where they normally would have been like on the streets and perhaps getting involved in the sh- Chicago's like gang and slash narcotic culture to make a living to entertain themselves, to do whatever, to be part of a group. Now you're kind of like uh, the criminal version of the, the gig economy. They're out mm-hmm. there, they're able to steal a car, mm-hmm. drive around, do whatever they want, and when they're done with the car, they abandon it. So that leads into the second question that you asked, second part. I was really surprised when I started doing this full time. I mean, I was, I was completely surprised, and the number of people that I've had to like disabuse of this, but almost none of the cars end up in chop shops. Like mm-hmm. almost none. I couldn't give you a percentage, but I'll just make one up here. I would say it's like 98% car of the cars we find within a month, um, maybe almost 100 of them within a, a week. You know, 100% within a week or two weeks, we just find them. And they're in, in decent condition. Now, have they been used in other crimes to commit other robberies? Yes, they have. Have they occasionally been used to, like, go on gang-related shootings and they have like, bullet holes and stuff in them? Yes, they have, okay? Mm. But we find the cars almost completely intact, hardly ever stripped, and hardly ever disappeared. Jill's case was very unique, and I'm sure you'll get into that later, but that was one of them where they, I think they kind of, like, knew what they were getting, and decided to take advantage of it. But the cases where we see that are very small. You know, the analogy I often use is people are familiar with a lot of TV shows. Uh, Tommy had mentioned that before we started. And uh, that's their perception of law enforcement. And it informed me as well. Like, you watch The Sopranos from 20 years ago. (laughs) They carjack a very expensive car. They drive it down to the docks and put it in a shipping container, and they ship, ship it off to Eastern Europe, right? And right. I'm like, well, that's what must be happening because they're taking all these <laughs> high-end luxury cars. Like a Range Rover, we've had ones that are stolen. They're about $165,000. Right. Ironically, that's completely wrong. It, it just is. The people who steal cars to take parts off them and steal them, steal them. Do you know what I mean? They don't want to be mm-hmm. caught. They certainly don't want to commit a much worse violent crime, a higher mm-hmm. category. Um they don't hire juveniles to go out and get the cars for them. I mean, we just haven't seen it. Right. Uh, the cars are just found like a week or two later. Most of the auto thefts that occur um, in which they're going to a chop shop or they're being resold or they're parted out or they're taking out like the catalytic converter, a lot of that stuff or most of it is done with uh, tow trucks, believe it or not. 
Mm. Uh, these tow trucks will just show up and tow the car, and, it, and the car <laughs> just kind of disappears. There's a lot of that, but that's not what I investigate. We have a whole separate auto theft section that does that. We only deal with the robbery aspect of it. Well, and so, I mean... I, I want to transition into prevention because I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, so this happened three yeah. years ago, but um, immediately, like right after, I spent a lot of time thinking, like, what could I have done? What did I do wrong? And I, I think I came to the conclusion, well, first off, I shouldn't have probably tried to fight back because that's what I did. And I'm four foot mm-hmm. 11 <laughs> and small. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but I did. And, um, and and I talked to a lot of people, and it was funny because one of the guys that I talked to is um, a federal agent, and he's a friend of my husband's, and he was like, so you're a runner, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm a runner. And he was like, um, why did it not occur to you to run? And I was like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And, and so it kind of like got me thinking along the path of, you know, you hope to heaven that nothing like this is ever going to happen to you. Um, but you should kind of have a game plan. And, and so, I, I, you know, my new game plan is running. <laughs> but sure. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, okay, how do you prevent, like, how do you not put yourself in a situation? Like, I don't think I did anything wrong. It was noon in the middle of the day, sunny Saturday afternoon on Fullerton Avenue, busy street in Chicago. Like, there was, yes. I wasn't in an alley or anything like that. I didn't do anything dangerous. I wasn't, you know, with my nose and my phone walking down the street. But, but there are situations where people could protect themselves. And, and so I guess I just wanted you to comment, like, how can you make it less likely that something like this would happen to you? And what do you do when or if something like this does happen to you? Okay, so what applies here is the same kind of training that uh, police officers get, which is the number one thing that keeps you safe is something we call situational awareness, all right? Mm-hmm. Situational awareness is more than just looking around, but that's like the number one component of it. It's also don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to lose, okay? For instance, right. don't don't drive drunk, right? If you're driving drunk, you're going to get pulled over, you're not you're not seeing what you could hit, you go through a red light, that kind of thing. And you, it's easier to get robbed, to be perfectly honest, right? Mm-hmm. So situational awareness is like uh, looking around, seeing if you see people that are suspicious, when people are like walking up to you like rapidly, you have to think maybe they're going to come up and rob me. You know, people don't normally do that. No. But then when you do get robbed, when someone does confront you with a gun, you have to sit there and make an immediate decision, right? Fight or flight. <laughs> flight is usually the best thing, okay? Yes. But it's not the best thing when they're demanding your car. The right. best thing to do, and this is really unfortunate, hard to say, is get out of the car. Give them the keys, give them the car, and let them go and walk away. Just start walking away. Driving away is not a good idea because we had a situation in the 20th district last fall in November where every time the person tried to drive away upon being confronted with a gun, they fired a shot at them. Okay. Oh. A couple of, mm. couple of times somebody got hit. And the 20th district, I bring it up because it's the quietest district in the city for like 25 years, okay? It goes from Peterson to uh, Lawrence and from the lakefront to the river. And this was a situation where, like, windows were shot out, people were shot in the arm, shot in the leg. Um, All they had to do was get out of the car. Now, when I say that, you can't, like, qualify, like, how people are going to react. You don't know what a robber's going to do. And you may have to be in the situation to fight back. Um, But if if you're, you know, situational awareness means if I can perceive the situation and realize I don't need to fight, it's really better to give up the car. And knowing that, okay. and knowing your head that you're going to get the car back, your life is, is cost, you know, is worth so much more. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only time I would ever say that you have to like immediately stop and say, I have to fight these guys or confront them or, or whatever is if your children are still in the car, right? Sure. You can't yeah. get out of the car and let them take the kids. Now it happens all the time that like, uh, by the time, like several times a year, where kids are left in the car and they just drop the car off like a couple blocks away, until the time that doesn't happen that way, right? So mm-hmm. you, you have to like make a scene, like give me the kid, do whatever, fight, you know, resist, make a scene. But in general, let them have your car, walk away, walk away from it. If I may just add one thing, I wanted to add, you know, in case we're running out of time here. A lot of people uh, ask me, should I get a gun? Should I carry a gun? Mm-hmm. I'm a concealed carry holder. Should I have a gun? You know. We're police officers. We carry guns, and we, I, don't, I don't really have a problem if you have a gun, you should have a, if you feel you, you, you want one. But the thing is that sometimes it gives you what we call in the police world, like uh, 
we call it like tombstone courage, okay? Which is like, now you're here and you feel, they've confronted me with a gun, I have my own gun, I need to act. When in reality, you're not yet in the last extreme, right? They've confronted you, they want the keys, you can still give them the keys and back away. They're not looking to shoot you per se, right? It's very hard to be in that situation. I bring that up because I think everyone's seen on TV the terrible case of the retired uh, Chicago Fire Department Lieutenant, Dwayne Williams, Mm -hmm. who was a concealed carry holder, who legally had his own firearm, who was situationally aware, because he Mm -hmm. got the drop on these guys, okay? Getting the drop on is like an old Western gunfighting-like term, (laughs) meaning he knew that they were coming armed with guns, and they didn't know he had a gun. So his number one advantage is to just walk away. Drop his keys and back up. They're not going to rob you, right? And if, if, if situation gets worse, they don't know you have a gun and you have that in your pocket, right? He decided to engage them. The problem is he had four offenders, two of them that oh. we could see visibly had guns, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And I think he got a shot off and he was great and he was situationally aware, but you really can't engage that many targets, okay? And so what we call Tombstone Courage is you're supposed to wait for backup, right? You're by yourself. And it's the same thing when you're a citizen. Like, right. if you can walk away and be a good observer and get details of what the peoples look like, clothing, physical features, did they come in another car, where did they go, that's so much more helpful and safer than attempting to, like, make a citizen's arrest or whatever. I'm not saying don't defend yourself if you're in the situation where you have to defend yourself. But situational awareness means preparing yourself before you even drive to think, what am I going to do and how am I going to react should somebody come up to me? I'm stopped at a light and someone's trying to open my car door. What am I going to do? You know, I'm going to look at, look at their hands. Am I just going to wildly drive away and take a chance? Am I going to get out of the car? Do I unbuckle my kid? That's situational awareness. That's the number one thing that I would advocate. Excellent. Sergeant, we've run out of time, but but your point is well taken. If you get into trouble, just give up the car. It's easier than giving up your life. You guys have a website you wanted to talk about? I do. The uh, Chicago Police Department has a public-facing like portal on their main page that anyone can go to. It's called chicagopolice.org, chicagopolice.org. And then there's a backslash, and it's Chicago Police Vehicular Hijacking Task Force, all separated by hyphens. Hard to explain uh, orally. But if you go to the main webpage, chicagopolice.org, chicagopolice.org, it's one of the tabs on the front page, and it's called the Vehicular Hijacking Task Force. I checked it out. Um, there's a lot. If you're not in Chicago, there's still all sorts of good information there uh, that I think people can make use of. Sergeant Mason, we ran out of time, but we really appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us. I think we'll have to have you back on to expand on this conversation uh, sometime soon. All right, absolutely. You're very welcome. You have a great day. You too. Thank you. All right, that was Sergeant Mason of the Chicago Police Force. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. I'm darn grateful you stuck around. Hey, Jill. Hey, yes. Jill, you're active on LaughStar. How can the kids follow you there? Uh, LaughStar. That seems like a funny place to be. Ba-dum-bum. LaughStar? Come on. Nobody? Nothing? All right. No, I'm not active on LaughStar. Um, but Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you can find me at Jill Simonello, or um, so it's all my name, all one word, or through the hashtag Cartajour. There you go. Damon, you're a laugher. What's the deal? <laughs> that sounds like social media for stand up comedians. Oh. Hey, yes. Hashtag laugher. Hmm. And, 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 presumptuous stand-up comedians because if they're laugh stars that means they're already successful right or yeah i guess take it till you make it yeah fake it till you make it there you go no (laughs) not on laugh star i am on twitter at damon bell likes cars all right follow damon there he takes pictures of cars and stuff all right kids you know what time it is right yes i I was gonna say 12 11 but it may not be 12 11 where anybody else is no, okay, we did the good day thing, and then you blow it entirely by giving a specific time? All right, if anyone happened to be listening to that at exactly 12.11, let us know. We'll send you a gift. All right. <laughs> 
It is quiz time. Today's quiz is which is longer. I hope you guys are ready. Okay. All right, Jill, the first question goes to you. Jill, which of the following vehicles stretches furthest in overall length? The 2021 Hyundai Accent or the 2021 Lexus UX? That is Lexus's compact, subcompact crossover. Oh, this is going to be diabolical again, isn't it? Um, I would say, okay, so you've got the UX, which is an SUV, and you have the Accent, which is the compact car. And so here's the thing, like you would do this just to mess with us. And I, I, I almost have to say it needs to be the Accent because you would naturally presume it would be the UX is longer. So I'm gonna go with the Accent. Go with the accent. Damon, same question to you. Which is longer, the 2021 Hyundai Accent, which is a small sedan, or the Lexus UX, which is a small crossover? So you're talking overall length, not wheelbase, correct? Overall length, correct. I'm going to say the UX. The UX is super stubby. It has almost zero rear overhang. So I'm going to you're say... Saying, you're going to say the UX is longer. No, I'm sorry, Is it which is longer? The the accent is longer than the U.S. Okay, so you both took the accent? Yes. And you're both wrong. Ugh. See, you're accent, messing with us. The Hyundai accent is 173 inches long. The U.S. is 177, so it's close. And yeah, crossovers are often shorter than sedans, so that could have gone anyway. Oh, Damon, which is longer? The 2021 Subaru Outback, the 2021 Chevrolet Blazer, or are they almost the same length? Boy, that's now you've thrown me off with that first question. I'm going to I'm going to say they're almost the same length. All right, Jill, same question to you. I think it's going to be the Outback is longer just because Everybody keeps calling it a wagon, and I refuse to do that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's I'm gonna say it's the Outback. Oh, Damon scores on this one. They're both 191 inches long. <sighs> All right. Damon is on the board with one point. We go to question three. Jill, this question goes to you. Jill, which is longer, the 2021 Fiat 500X, that's Fiat subcompact crossover, or the 2021 Hyundai Kona, which is Hyundai's? subcompact crossover oh man uh, I'm gonna go I, I, I'm gonna go with the Kona no explanation uh, it's, again you're asking which is longer yes Damon is it the Fiat 500x or the Hyundai Kona which is longer overall Uh, just to make it interesting, I think I'm going to say I think I'm going to say 500x is longer than the Kona. Jill, what did you say? Uh, the other one. I said Kona. You said the Kona. I would have gone with the Kona myself, but in fact, the 500x, <laughs> which looks which looks decidedly bobtail to me, is actually longer, oh. 168 inches to 164. Damon now has a two-point lead. This is still anybody's game. Damon, the next question goes to you. Uh, hey, Damon, which is longer, the 2021 standard length Cadillac Escalade or the 2022 Jeep Grand Wagoneer? Standard length. I'm going to say the, the Grand Wagoneer is longer. All right. Jill, this question goes to you. Um, you uh, uh, so I would have said the Grand Wagoneer as well. Um <laughs> But, you know, since I seem to be on a losing streak, like, for 2021, um, I'm going to go with the Escalade. Oh, Damon is correct. 212 <laughs> inches for the Escalade, 215 for the Wagoneer. It is now three points for Damon. Damon has actually won this game, but we keep playing because that's what we do. Uh, Jill, this question goes to you. Which is longer, the 2021 Ford Explorer, that's Ford's mid-sized three-row SUV or the 2021 Audi A8, their big car. Oh, that is an exceptionally large car. And I remember, I haven't driven the Explorer um, in Chicago, uh, but I remember when I had the A8, I had a hard time fitting that in my garage. Like it just barely fit. Oh. Um, 
for those familiar with my social media stuff, I do the will it fit game. I should have done it for that one, but did not. Because <laughs> it literally almost did not fit. Um, I'm gonna say the A8. All right, you're going with the Audi. Damon, same question to you, the Explorer or the Audi A8, which is longer? And there's no A8L anymore, is there? You know, the way this works is that in America, all we get is the A8L. Is the L, is the L. yeah. So the yeah and, and they don't market it as such. Yeah, I think, uh, I remember being really taken aback because I, if I recall correctly, the A8 has a shockingly small trunk for being such a, mm. being a large luxury sedan. Um, but I think I am gonna agree with Jill and say that the A8 is longer than the Explorer. You guys are both correct, and it's a pretty big difference. The Explorer is 199 inches long. The Audi A8 is 209 inches long. Yeah. All right, Damon has won this week, but we still go to the bonus question because that's what we do. Damon, I hope you're ready. I am. Damon, finally, per 7-Eleven corporate website, which of the following is not a variety of roller grill taquito available at both stores? Oh, good grief. Monterey Jack chicken, steak and cheese, ham and cheese, buffalo chicken. These are always weird food related, aren't they? I haven't noticed. You haven't noticed. Well, or, you know, the guy who could never kiss a guy in a Christmas sweater. Come on. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Weird Hallmark movie. Uh, I'm sorry. Please, Tom, read through the candidates one more time. And it's which is not... Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. We, are, we are looking for the fake 7-Eleven taquito. Okay. Monterey Jack chicken, steak and cheese, ham and cheese, buffalo chicken. I would say the odd taquito out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is the name of your autobiography. That's right. You never want to be the odd taquito out. That's just uh, <laughs> rules oh, to man. I'm going to say that the steak and cheese because A... Uh, that would be a pricier meat than the others, and you would mm. think the the two chickens use the same base chicken. So I would think mm. a steak and cheese, if in fact it is real steak, is something that you can't get uh, as cheaply as the others. Uh, so I will say steak and cheese is the is the fake one. All right, Jill, this question goes to you. I hadn't thought about the expensive steak. Uh, that is a very very logical answer. Um, however. I'm going to go with ham and cheese because who would put ham in a, like, cheese in a taquito? Oh, I never thought about that. You're right. Like, I would put steak and cheese in a taquito, and I would put chicken in a taquito, but I would not, like, a ham and cheese is a sandwich, not a taquito to me. So, um, but, but, I mean, again, losing streak here. I don't think I've won a game in 2021. I'm just going to point that out. I think I've gotten maybe three points in 2021, um, one of which was today. Uh, so, um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say ham and cheese. The flip side though is Taco uh, uh, 7-Eleven could be all about the cutting edge cutting edge fusion items so you know. <laughs> yeah. that's what so ham happened. and cheese that's is on the happened. edge <laughs> yeah that's what nothing more cutting edge than ham and cheese yeah. <laughs> well jill your your taquito protocol uh path of logic proved proved to be uh advantageous today because ham and cheese oh. is the huh. so therefore that means that i win everything so far for 2021 all of the other like game winning uh everything like i i i basically now i'm i'm batting you know a thousand i've won everything because i answered that correctly yes that's right joe i forgot to mention that <laughs> the bonus question today was worth 50 points i forgot to mention that it's, it's worth 3,000 points which means like we shouldn't you know I, i've won every quiz for the rest of the year basically uh, I, just because- mention, I just want to mention that i will never ever eat a steak and cheese taquito from 7-Eleven. I can't Noted. eat that as quality. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I would do a chick one, chicken one either. Like a taquito yeah. at 7-Eleven, like that's just a no. Iffy. Because I'm a journalist, I have to also point out that jalapeno cream cheese and taco and cheese are other taquito varieties mm. available. So there now, you have jalapeno cream cheese I would do. Hmm. That's probably okay. the way I'd go to. Uh, Damon, we've burned a lot of time on 7-Eleven today, but there's stuff going on at our blog, too. 
Yeah, so let me just uh, run down some of the articles we've got up this week. Uh, we drove a Chrysler Pacifica plug-in hybrid recently. Mm. Yeah. Uh, a Six Cool Things article about that. Uh, the Pacifica, of course, got a, a significant refresh for uh, 2021, which includes the addition of all-wheel drive. You can't get all-wheel drive on a plug-in hybrid version, but uh, still one of my favorite uh, minivans. And the plug-in hybrid is a great feature that allows you to get around 30 miles of uh, pure electric driving range. So we've got uh, six cool things about that. I've got a question for you about that. I want your opinion. Jill, you've seen the new the new town and country, correct? Pacifica. Uh, Pacifica. Yes. I'm like, town and country? No, I have not. Yes, in, I have. In new Pinnacle guys, that's their new top trim level. Mm -hmm. Is this vehicle technically a luxury vehicle? Ooh. Maybe. Got, I would say it is. It's got throw pillows, man. It does. It has throw pillows. <laughs> and, they're, and they're quilted and, and soft. Like, isn't it like Napa leather? Like the buttery yeah, like leather. Napa leather. Uh, yeah. yeah. On my list of things that make something luxury, I have, is it expensive? Does it have throw pillows? Well, you know, I think <laughs> the right. only time I've ever seen throw pillows in a vehicle is in a Rolls Royce. There you go. Damon, we've got three minutes left. What else have we got? Uh, we've got a first spin on the refreshed 2021 Lincoln Nautilus that gets a great new dashboard design and a fabulous new uh, infotainment system. Uh, Tom, you did an article about uh, car commercials with interesting music, great music, <laughs> and that will uh, shake loose some memories. Of course, the, the top one there is a Volkswagen GTI commercial from the early 80s. And then which, which, which is arguably the greatest car commercial of all time. <laughs> Uh, I've had other ones. We can talk about that on a future show. I've got other we should. put on that list. Yes, for sure. And then finally, we've got uh, a test drive report. Speaking of top line trim levels, the Hyundai Palisade three row SUV added a new calligraphy trim level for 2021. And we've got a full uh, test drive review of that vehicle. Interesting thing about that, the, the Palisade Calligraphy, for all of its up lux, uh, it is now decidedly premium. I don't know if it qualifies as a luxury vehicle or not, but it still comes in just under 50 grand. Indeed. Mm. Yep. Good so, value at that price. However, I will note, no throw pillows now. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. That's it. I'm out. <laughs> also, before we wrap up, I just want to point out that car makers have run out of good names for top trim levels. I'm really tired of platinum, but calligraphy and pinnacle, I don't know. Oh, I like both of those. I like Do you? Yeah, calligraphy it's is... It's very elegant. Yeah, elegant and old world, something that, you know, it takes time to do. I, I like it. It's, it feels... All right. Cool. Yeah, I'm on board. All right. So a tough off-roader, uh, calligraphy. Okay. Uh, nobody's taking uh, it's that's a soft rotor at best i don't think soft rotor? okay it could, but it's got the look it's got the look mm. <laughs> both of us are like no man no one no one is throwing me a bone today all right no. this is the consumer guide car stuff podcast and this was another week thanks for joining us thanks to sergeant mason of the chicago police department thanks as always to jill simonillo and damon bell a tip of the hat to producer lady b and the good folks here at wcpt am 820 in chicago a shout out to my radio mentor steve and johnny you guys are the best hey let's talk more about cars again next week